we're going to jump in now to our series that we began a few weeks ago. If you're kind of new to the Outback and don't know what's going on, we're in the middle of a series in the book of Luke. And we started in a weird spot in Luke because we started in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. The reason why I selected that verse is because it's the part of the book where Jesus takes a turn and it says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so we're tracking the, the journey of Christ um, from Luke 9 through the end of the book um, as he moves toward Jerusalem to then be crucified and then, of course, to resurrect three days later. So we decided to take a, like a slow pause in Luke chapter 15 to focus on one of Jesus' most famous parables, his famous story. And we're spending four weeks in Luke 15, and Jesus tells a story about this father and these two sons. You might know it as the prodigal son story. I prefer to call it the, the story of the two lost sons, because both sons are lost spiritually, and that's, I think, what he's trying to depict in the story as he tells it. But in the story, we see something that we see in families sometimes today. Uh, Megan covered the younger son in the story last week. I'm talking about the older son this week. And we see this dynamic in the story. We also see the same dynamic play out in families sometimes today. So the older son is a rule keeper, a rule follower. The younger son is like the rebel. He's like the rule breaker. And this can happen sometimes in your families as well. I'm always amazed sometimes whenever, whenever you look at certain families and you think, how did those two kids come out of the same family? Because they can be very, very different. And what can happen sometimes is it's not always a birth order thing where it's like the oldest kid is like this, the younger kid's like this. It's not always like that, right? But there's often in families this dynamic where one kid is a certain way, maybe more of a rule keeper type, and then the next kid, in order to identify themselves as different, they just want to do the opposite of what the older kid might do, right? I'm sure you see this play out. Um, if you've got more than yourself, just one kid in your family, you can think of like, yeah, with, with my siblings or my sibling, you know, it's a mystery how we came from the same parents because we're just so absolutely different. And this is kind of what you see here um, in this story of the two sons. And of course, it's a fictional story that's communicating a, a bigger truth that Jesus is telling here. And... Uh, so the older son is this rule keeper, and the younger son is this rule breaker. And um, when I think of, again, birth orders doesn't, mean, doesn't necessarily mean this is the way it always works out, but when I think of my mom's family and my, my dad's family, this is indeed how it, take, how it took place. Because my mom, she's one, of the, she's one of the older siblings in her family, and she is like a rule follower um, to every detail. And then her two younger siblings, the exact opposite. I mean, you should see they're in their 60s and 70s now, but like their life has just displayed that, where she's like this rule follower, detailed rule follower. My uncle and my aunt, they're totally opposite, not like that at all. And then my dad's side of the family, the exact, my dad's kind of more this rule follower type. He's the oldest. And then my uncle, who's younger, um, who just passed away actually, um, he, his life was just a train wreck in every single way. And, uh, and so, not, again, not saying birth order is why this took place, but it sometimes works out that way, where you, you see this play out in families um, even today. I think sometimes, like, if you're, the oldest, if, you're, if you're the oldest kid in the family, you will see lots and lots of photos of yourself 
if you're the oldest kid in the family. When it gets to like the second and the third kid in the family, there's like two, right? And, and you're like, what, where are all my photos? It's like, listen, the parents just, they got too busy, right? They got too busy whenever they had second, third, fourth child. And there is an element sometimes where parents can sometimes, as they have more and more kids, they can just say to the younger kids, listen, you need to kind of work this out on your own, all right? Because we just don't have the time and energy like we did with that one kid, the oldest kid, to really just pour everything into them. And here's the, the other side of that, is that you're going to get your alone time with your parents when you're an older teenager and that oldest kid is out of the house, all right? So congratulations. You're going to get your time, but it's going to be a time in your life where you want to be re rebellious, you know, and, and do your own thing probably. And, uh, but you're going to have your time as well in the limelight. You just wait. It's coming for you. And uh, so, uh, again, I'm not sure if this plays out always in the, in the same ways in families, but we see this play out in this family um, that Jesus talks about here. So to understand the parable, we've got to understand the audience that he's speaking into. So Luke 15, verses 1 to 3, here's the setup. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he tells them this parable. And he actually told two parables before he got to the prodigal son story, the tale of the two sons. So who are these people that are in the audience? Well, these are the tax collectors and sinners. Those might be the rule breaker types. Then you have the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. That would be the rule keeper personality type. So with this audience in mind, Jesus tells this famous story. And again, the summary of the story is this, that the younger son goes to the father and asks for his inheritance before the father, of course, has passed away and dies. And the father gives it to him. The younger son goes and wastes it and, and spends frivolously in his life at a distant land. But then he comes back to, he comes to his senses. He comes back home to the, to the father's house. And the father welcomes him back by throwing this massive welcome home party. Now, the other son, the older son, he gets really angry about that. He's standing outside the party, and he's pouting that his dad's throwing this big party for his, his rebellious younger brother. And the story ends with the father inviting the older son into the party. Now, most people think that Jesus tells this story to emphasize his love for younger son types. And that is part of it, the rule breaker types. But this story is really directed at the Pharisees and the teachers of, of the law, the older son types, the rule keeper types, because they're angry at Jesus for hanging out with these sinners. And so Jesus tells this story to expose the older son type, their pride, their arrogance, but also to invite them in to receive the same kind of grace that he offers these tax collectors and sinners. So last week, Megan focused on the younger son. Today, we're going to focus on the older son. And after the younger son returns home, the father throws this big party, and we see the older son's reaction in verse 25. Look at Luke 15, verse 25, where it says, Now his older son was out in the field. So notice the location of the older son. He's out in the field, and he's working just like a good son would. And as he came and drew near to the house, he hears music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what these things meant. Because you see, in, in that home, once the younger son had left, I'm sure the son had become kind of a dark and depressing place. 
And there wasn't a lot of reason for songs and dancing and parties. And so that wasn't a common thing in that household. When the younger son left, he took the joy with him. And the father's been probably mourning ever since that day. And so now it seems odd that there's this music and there's this party, there's this dancing atmosphere as the older son comes back from the field. And so he says to one of the servants, what do these things mean, this big party that my father is throwing right now? Verse 27, it says, and he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him, but he, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you were always with me and all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, when the older son sees the father show grace to the younger son, he gets really angry about it. So how do you know if you're an older son type personality? Well, when someone else receives grace, what they don't deserve, does it make you angry? There are lots of connections with the older son personality in my story, my testimony. When I was in high school, um, a a good friend of mine that I played basketball with, uh, I I think we were at the end of our junior year of high school, and he was dating a, a girl a year older than us in high school, and I was friends with both of them, and then they're in this dating relationship, and then uh, she gets pregnant. And so now the parents are trying to figure out, like, what do we do? Um, should we encourage marriage or even how do we do this? And they opted. The parents really strongly encouraged them to get married in that situation. And that's what they did. And they decided to have just a normal, regular-sized wedding. And so all of us that were, we were playing basketball together like the year before. Now we're at this guy's wedding. And it was one of the most awkward weddings I've ever been to. And uh, so we're at this wedding. And, of course, you bring gifts to a wedding, right? Well, I knew that in my church, this one couple decided to give them a car. And I remember, of course, I had compassion and grace for this couple, what they're walking through, but I had been working for several years to save money to buy a car, my own car. And it was a lot of hard work. And I remember thinking in my, in my heart, in my spirit, I had this weird anger that somebody else would give them a car for free. And I, in my head, I'm going, you know, this, this couple, they, they fell into sin. And I, I'm sorry for that. But at the same time, I've been working like crazy to get a car. I don't have a car. And I had this weird anger. And I admit that it was wrong and it was sinful. Because someone else was showing them grace. And it was a lesson to me that my own anger was showing me that this is the kind of person I can be sometimes in my own sin, my own pride, my own arrogance. That, so the question is, does God's grace, does, does someone else receiving grace, does it ever make you angry? If that's the case, there's a good chance that you might lean towards the older son mentality. Of course, we're never angry whenever we receive grace, only when someone else might receive it. So what does the older son's anger say about how he views his own relationship to the father. Well, he's not obeying the father out of love for him. He's obeying him to get something, to get approval from the father. 
So he has this transactional relationship with the father, and it goes like this. I'm going to work really hard for you and get approval from you, and that's going to be how I feel loved. And this is how he's approaching his relationship to his dad. He's using obedience to control the father, and there are ways that you and I try to do the exact same thing in our relationship with God. Now, we don't hear anything about this older son until we get to verse 25. And why is that? Because he's in the background. He's in the background part of the story. And this is what happens in real life as well. Have you noticed sometimes in families that the, the bad kid gets all the attention while the, the good kid, the well-behaved kid, doesn't get as much until one day they just explode maybe onto the parents, and, 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 and they have all this bitterness and, and rage and anger toward the parents and how they're not getting any attention. And this is what's happening here in the story. So where is the son? He's out in the field. Again, he's working like a good man would. And as he approaches the house, he hears this party. And the older son types, they don't like parties. They, when others are having fun, they're the ones that want to like, pour ice water on the situation. They're not great at celebrating, not great at being joyful, not great at celebrating, especially someone like this, a rebel who's come home, and they're getting all this stuff lavished upon them. They're, they're for sure not going to be excited about that. So the, a servant says, your brother's come back, he's come home, and while the dad throws the younger son a welcome home party, the older son is outside throwing himself a pity party. And that's the scene. So this father goes out to invite him in, but he refuses to come into the party. And in verse 29, he says, all these years, I've been, what? What does it say? It says, slaving for you. So how does the older son see his relationship to the father? He sees it as a master-slave relationship, not as a father-son relationship. This is how... Older son types can often see Jesus and Christianity. They can see it as just this master-slave relationship, not as this father-son, father-daughter relationship. So how do you know if you're like the older son? Well, they're, the younger son types usually know that they're like that. And they know that, yeah, I just kind of break the rules. I like to rebel. I like to go against the grain. But older son types usually aren't as aware of their sin. Because usually their sin is accompanied by blindness. They don't always see their sin plainly. And listen, I'm not trying to be oversimplified here, but there are probably certain personality characteristics that might lean towards the older son types. And listen, this is not hard for me to think of the list because I just had to think of like, okay, what's my personality like? Let me just list out what that looks like. And that's kind of what I think it, it can match up with. And again, these aren't necessarily bad things, but here's my list of just some, some basic things that, that if, you, if you wonder, am I maybe this kind of person, this might help you determine that. Uh, so someone who is super competitive, like in every way. Um, maybe they're obsessed with good grades. Now listen, don't go tell your parents that Dave said I shouldn't study hard because it leads to pride. I'm not saying that. But there are people that are obsessed with it, like always checking in the class rank, always 
trying to get ahead of somebody else, always just super competitive when it comes to grades. This might be someone who finds identity in their athletic accomplishments. For me, it was like soccer and a little bit of basketball. I wasn't great at basketball, so it was more soccer than basketball. But I wanted to hear, I wanted to hear my name on the loudspeaker. I wanted to see my name on, on things. I wanted to get recognition. I put a lot of stock in that as a, as a teenager. So finding identity in athletic accomplishments, uh, this is very simple. and I, This is a good thing, but it can lead to pride. Someone who's just always on time. They're very punctual, right? But good thing, but this might be someone that, that might struggle with older son mentality. Someone who's a neat freak. Now, don't look at anybody in the room. Don't do that right now. Don't, don't judge. Don't judge. Uh, someone who loves to get up early just because it's Saturday. And they're just like a go-getter. They just love. They're disciplined in their life. Uh, someone who avoids external, the external and the obvious sins. Maybe the ones that are out there in the culture, you know what I'm talking about. Um, how about this one? Someone who rolls their eyes a lot at other people. They just kind of have this, yeah, they, they, it's a way of judging people, right? Last one, they just love when they're right in an argument. Like, they just love that. They love being right in a debate or an argument. Now, again, some of these can be good things, but they cease to be good things if they lead to pride. And so in this story, underneath all of this outward obedience, the older son, he has this heart that's just simmering with bitterness and anger, and it comes out when he sees the father show grace to this younger son. Um, I think I've shared this story before, but I'm not sure how long ago it was. So I'll share it again. But for me, this like pivotal moment in my own uh, sort of teenage college years was when a friend and mentor of mine in a conversation said, you know, hey, Dave, like what are, what are some things that you might look for in a future woman you might marry one day? And I was kind of listing out some qualities. And, and one of the things that I said was I said, you know, I think I'd want to, you know, marry someone who's you know, waited for marriage sexually. And he, he kind of was like, okay, I get why you're saying that, but that's like a requirement? Like he's, what if she has like a story or a testimony and she's come back to Christ? And, and I said, well, I just think that I, I probably wouldn't be with that person. And I was being very matter-of-fact about it because I planned to wait. So I was like, well, Alex, I want her to do the same thing. And it was very logical in my mind. And he looked at me and said, but you do realize that, because he was married, at the, at the, he was married, and he still is to, the, to this day, praise God. Um, and he said, but you do realize, because he had a story. And he said, you realize that if my wife had lived by that standard, she wouldn't have married me. And I said, well, that was her choice. I might make a different choice. And I was being very, just matter of fact about it. And then a few years later down the road, like, he really let me have it. And, and, and expose my lack of grace um, in my own heart, my own life. And then several years down the road, I moved to Texas, and um, I meet this girl when I first moved here. And listen, it wasn't Courtney, so don't get all like, you know, was it, was it your wife? Like, it's, it's not that story, okay? It's a different story. But I met this girl, and we started dating pretty quickly. 
And then um, about six months in, you know, it, it felt like it was getting pretty serious. I was 19. How serious could it really be? But for, in my mind, it felt like it was, and I think for her as well. And one night, she sits me down, and she tells me her story. And she walks me through her time in high school where, um, and I'm looking at this godly, amazing girl, but then she's also telling me, like, yeah, two years ago, that's not who I was. I was living this double life. I was going to the to youth group. I was kind of the, the um, you know, a leader in my group, but I also had this whole other life I was living that no one knew about, and I was in this relationship, and it became sexual very quickly in that relationship for a couple of years. And she confessed this stuff to me, and I remember being just feeling, like, devastated at the time, but also feeling like, well, I'm, I'm in this. I'm not going to leave this relationship, but I'll just kind of let God see where, the, see, see where God takes this relationship. And, um, and listen, I will tell you, she was a godly girl, a godly woman. But I think God used that short-term relationship to teach me what grace really was. And listen, it's not like I, I can say, because at first I thought, okay, I need to show her grace. But then it was like God said to me, you know, like, who are you? Who are you to think that, you know, you're going you're gonna to stoop down to her level and show her grace? Like, you're totally missing it, even in your understanding of what grace is. That's not what it looks like. And I had this really good friend of mine that said to me during that season of time, he said, listen, he goes, this is not so much about you getting over the hurdle of her sin. This is about how you view your own sin. And he said, it's about how you view your sin. That's what God wants to teach you right now. And that stuck with me for years. And I really believe that today, God used that season in my life to show me what grace really is. Because grace isn't, should not be just this idea. But it's, it's something that comes into your life and you recognize it's not just an idea, but if you can't find it in yourself to recognize the grace and compassion that God gives people, and that's the same grace and compassion that he gives you, then you're going to miss out on what grace really is and how it transforms us. Because we need to see ourselves just as lost apart from Christ as anybody else. So if you're an older son type, one day you're going to be faced with this, whether or not you truly believe in the grace offered to you by Jesus. And I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to wreck your mind in a good way. And you're not going to see yourself in the way that you see yourself right now. So if you came to faith early in life and you're raised in the church, it's often more difficult to see your own sin. And it's hard for you to imagine where you might be apart from Christ. So look how it describes the younger son over in verse 17. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. So that phrase, came to himself, means that he came to his senses. So younger son types, when 
their life hits rock bottom. They realize the sinful state that they're in. And these older son types need to have a similar reckoning. Older son types need to come to their senses as well. But sometimes it's more difficult for us because for us to see our sin, truly. Because we struggle with pride. And when you think about how pride works, pride, being a prideful Christian is like bragging that someone else brought you back to life. Or, or being totally lost somewhere and, and then being found and then boasting that someone else found you. You might know the story of this guy named Aaron Ralston. And you may have heard his story. I think he was hiking somewhere in Utah and he was by himself rock climbing and hiking. And he fell into this little crevice and a boulder ended up falling with him and pinching his arm in between um, a wall of this rock. And he's just stuck there. And there's a movie about him called 127 Hours. And for 127 hours, he is stuck, faced with this situation. Like, I'm just going to starve here and, and die of dehydration. And he's trying to find a way out, and no one is around. No one can find this guy. And, and for 127 hours, he's in this predicament. And he comes to the place where he recognizes, if I don't do something drastic, I'm going to die right here. They're going to find my skeleton here one day. So the guy somehow has like a dull knife, and he decides to amputate his arm. And he performs surgery on himself, almost bleeds to death. He somehow gets his arm out of this situation, has to break his bone, and then pull his arm out, what's left of it. He hikes his way, the hikers find him, and he somehow miraculously survives. And I want to imagine a scenario with me for a moment. What if someone had come and rescued him when he was in this helpless state, and then he went all over the country bragging that somebody else found him? That'd be ridiculous. But that's what you and I are doing whenever we are proud about our salvation, as if we can be responsible for that or we can take credit for it. You see, the gospel is that God breathed life into you when you were dead. He found you when you were lost, and we can't take credit for any of that. That is the gospel message. And so when you look at the end of the chapter in Luke 15, uh, verses 31 to 32, where it says, and he said to him, this is the father speaking to the older son, he says, son, you were always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The father says this younger son was dead, and now he's alive. He was dead in two ways. He was dead spiritually, and as far as the father knew, he was dead physically. Now, you've heard the statement, you're dead to me. It was like the younger son was saying to the father, you're dead to me, give me your money. But then he goes away, and as far as the father knows, the son is dead to him. He doesn't know where he is. He might be physically dead. Then he comes back, there's a big celebration, and these older son types have a really hard time celebrating when someone comes to Christ because they have always seen themselves as found. They've always seen themselves as alive spiritually. One of my biggest pet peeves is whenever, I understand part of it's just how we think, but whenever I ask someone to tell me their story, 
whether it's like a baptism interview or even like someone coming on to my high, the high school or junior high leadership team, is a statement when someone says, well, you know, I've always been a Christian. Listen, no one has always been a Christian. That's impossible. There needs to be a time in your life where you recognize I am dead spiritually and I need God to make me alive. I am lost spiritually and I need to be found. That's what it means to surrender. No one can say I've always been a Christian. So in Luke 15, Jesus leaves this audience hanging and the older son is outside the party and he's pouting after having yelled at his father. If this were a movie, you'd be angry because Jesus doesn't give us the end. He doesn't tell us how this thing ends. Now, why is that? Because the real audience is the Pharisees, the older son types. So he leaves it hanging because he was putting the question to the Pharisees, are you going to come in to the party that, I'm, that I'm, I'm throwing for these people, these sinner types that are coming to me, so I can show them grace. Are you going to enter into the party? We typically imagine that Jesus, you know, him being gracious with the, the obvious sinners in that culture of the day, but then sharply rebuking the, the prideful Pharisee type people. But here we see him offering his grace to this kind of person as well. I'm amazed in this story that Jesus is standing there, the Father is standing there offering his grace and his compassion to the older son type, saying, come on into the party. You're welcome here too, just like he is. The fact that he offers us grace, and, and those in the room here that struggle with that, like I do, he offers you the same grace that he offers the younger son types. So what this story shows us is really two ways for us to be lost. The first is to live rebelliously. It's what you know about. It's what you think about whenever you think of someone being lost. You can click the next slide. So two ways to be lost, to live rebelliously. And you can go to the next slide. Click. I don't have a clicker back there. Here we go. And um, so some of you all are living this way right now. And the church thing is just, it's just a game. I mean, to keep peace with the parents. You, know, you have friends here. I get it. But for some of you, this church thing is just a game. And you're living rebelliously. You know who you are. And, you know, it's, that's just where you're at. And some of you might look okay on the outside right now. And things are fine. But you're planning your rebellion. It's premeditated. You're thinking, like, when I move on to college, it's going to be on, Right? And you might be planning a, a season of this, but then also in your mind, go, you know, I'll come back. I'll return back. I'll repent. And you're thinking, I want, I want the best of both worlds. I've kind of grown up in this church thing. I want the best of both worlds. I know a lot of people who have a story where they went off the deep end into sin, and they came back. They seemed fine. This is the kind of person that wants, you know, an exciting testimony. You know, the, the kind of person that says, you know, whenever I go to church and they put someone on a stage and, with a testimony, it's always some crazy rebel, right? It's never the prideful Pharisee type. It's a person that goes off the deep end into sin, then they come back. That's what I want my story to look like. That's exciting. I don't want a boring testimony. And so some of you guys are struggling right now with this. 
But I'll tell you this, if, if you're kind of premeditating your rebellion, or even living in it right now, and you think it's just very easy just to come on back and just return, that sounds easy to you. I liken it to choosing to enter into a burning building because you may not make it out alive. So why would you go into a burning building? Unless, of course, you're trying to rescue somebody. But why would you go do that? Because there's a really good chance you're not going to make it out alive. But the invitation, I think, in this story is that you can come home. That's the invitation. Megan talked about that last week. So one way, of course, is to live rebelliously. Other way to be lost is to live religiously, which might sound surprising to you. But that's what the older son was doing. By this, I mean trying to earn favor with God through your works. And for this person, the issue isn't simply how you view the sin of the rebellious type, but how you see your own sin. That's the most important thing here. Do you love what the Father loves? Do you love who the Father loves? And, and do you see someone, someone changed by God's grace should be gracious towards others, towards those that are living in open rebellion against God? So essentially, both types here need to repent. The rebellious person thinks they've got to, you know, earn their way back. But for the religious person, the rule keepers, they think because of their good behavior, they deserve this relationship with God. And so both ways of, of thinking and living go against the gospel and defy the gospel. You know, we usually associate repentance with this turning from just outward sin but when we're older son types, we still have to repent of our good works and not count on our good works to save us or to earn right standing with God. I love these next words. When we acknowledge that we are unworthy, that's when he declares us worthy in Christ. And that's how you and I have to live. We're going to head to our breakout. So if you're kind of new here, don't know where to go, well, you know,